Hello, and thank you for listening to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast of Vineyard Church right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can check out our website for more information about our church or find our audio archive with all of our previous messages at www.vineyardchurch.us. You can also subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. Uh, I want to read our scripture to us before Lindsay comes up, which is in Genesis chapter 41, verses 37 through 44. It says this, Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a rank higher than yours. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and placed it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in fine linen clothing and hung a gold chain around his neck. And then he had Joseph ride in the chariot reserved for his second in command. And whenever Joseph went, the commander, the command was shouted, kneel down. So Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of all Egypt. And Pharaoh said to him, I am Pharaoh, but no one will lift a hand or foot in the entire land of Egypt without your approval. This is the word of the Lord. We're going to jump in today. We are, we are week three in our series called Spirit-Filled Life. Um, and I am still excited about this series, which is kind of rare for me. So ADD people, I see you and feel you. Um, so yeah, so we're spending a few weeks talking together about the person and work of the Holy Spirit, what it means to have a Spirit-filled life. Uh, I think in many spaces uh, in the church, the Holy Spirit has um, been maybe more of a controversy than a comfort. And so our hope over the next few weeks is to, we don't want to run away from the controversy, but we want to remind all of us that the Holy Spirit uh, exists for comfort and conviction in our hearts, that there is a, a massive piece of the work of the Holy Spirit that is comforting, it's how um, we know the love of God in this deeper and fuller way. And so uh, we want to lean into the comfort and that's absolutely what I I plan on doing today. Um, We're going to look at a story from the Old Testament uh, about a man named Joseph that that Josh just read to us. Josh just read a blip of his story. Uh, The story of Joseph is like 13 chapters long. It goes uh, from Genesis 37 to 50. So if you want to go there and get real comfortable, we, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm not going to read it. Um, but I will summarize it. And I, I told, uh, we, I filmed this for our online service and I was like, I'm gonna summarize this in six minutes. And it was not six minutes. So uh, you may wanna get comfortable for real. Um, but, uh, but anyway, I love this story. If you know me well, then you know that there are a few things I love as much as I love a good story. And this is a really, really good story, uh, entertaining. And if people tell you the Bible's boring, it, it isn't. They just aren't reading the right parts, I think. Um, so there've been lots of stories written about Joseph and his life. 
movies. Uh, There's a Broadway sensation uh, written about this. It's a really entertaining thing. So um, one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is, is in our lives through the Bible, the Holy Spirit allows us to enter into and to embody the kingdom story as God's people that we get to read the Bible and enter into it as if it's our story. Uh, And that's what I hope to do today is to use the Spirit's work in Joseph's life as a lens uh, for what's possible in our lives, what's possible in us. So uh, here we go. This is the story of Joseph. So Joseph is the grandson of Abraham. Do we know Abraham? If you grew up in the church, you may know Abraham. If not, um, Abraham is a a huge name in the Old Testament, a huge name for the people of God. Uh, And then Abraham had a son named Jacob and Jacob is like the wild man of the Old Testament. And that's saying something because the Old Testament is bananas. Um, But uh, Jacob, his kind of claim to fame is that he stole a birthright and he wrestled with God and got what he wanted. And he's just this like tenacious guy. And then Jacob has Joseph. So Joseph is the youngest of of 12 sons of Jacob. So he's number 12. Uh, and uh, he is Jacob, Joseph is Jacob's favorite son. And I'm not guessing on that. Maybe you grew up in a house where you thought you were the favorite or weren't the favorite and you kind of had a hunch about that. I'm not guessing. It actually says it in the scriptures. Genesis 37, three says, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children, <laughs> which is just the, I'm just reading the Bible. So, um, At one point, Jacob has a special robe made for Joseph as like a symbol of his love. Like uh, I have 11 sons and then the 12th one gets the fancy robe. So um, it's, as you can imagine, this goes very poorly uh, for Jacob uh, or for Joseph with his brothers. His brothers uh, absolutely hated him. Again, not making this up. It says in the scriptures, they hated him and couldn't say a kind word about him, uh, which is Bible talk for bullying. Um, And so when he's 17, uh, Joseph starts having dreams. Um, the first one, he has this wild dream. The first one he says, and, and, and then he tells his brothers about it. So that's how, how we know about it. He tells his brothers about it. And he says that they're all in a field and they're all bundling grain, bundling wheat in a field. Uh, and Joseph's bundle stands up and then all of the other bundles bow down toward him. And he tells his brothers this. He says, you know, I had this dream. I'm standing. You guys are bowing down to me. Again, you can imagine this goes absolutely terrible for him. Um, Again, I'm quoting the scripture here. It says, they hated him even more because of his dreams. So... um, then Joseph gets another dream. He gets dream round two, uh, and, and then he goes to tell his brothers again. In my experience, people have, who have very fancy robes don't have a lot of self-awareness. I don't know if that's what's happening with Joseph, but he thinks it's a good idea, so he goes back to his brothers to tell them the dream. Um, and in this dream, he says that the sun, moon, and 11 stars all bow down to him. So I, asked, I was telling the story to Huck last night and I said, who do you think that is? And he was like, his mom, his dad, and his brothers. And I was like, I think they caught on as fast as you did too. Um, so uh, he, he, this is, they, they start calling him after this dream, they start calling him the dreamer um, and that's not a compliment. So uh, I have a, 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 someone who's really close to me who's the first person in their family to graduate from college. And so their family calls this person college boy and they do not mean it as a compliment. And that's this, the dreamer, the dreamer was not, like he's really ambitious. It it was not a compliment. And so uh, this time Joseph also tells his dad his dream. uh, And even Jacob is like, oh, don't do that. Like he's curious about his dream. He wants to know more about it, but he's like, oh, you cannot tell your brothers that's going to go uh, very bad for you. And then it does. 
it goes very bad for him. At the end of Genesis 37, uh, Joseph's brothers concoct a plan to kill him. Uh, and then one of them comes to him and says, it's too hard to hide a body, let's not kill him. That's their reason why. I'm telling you, the Old Testament is bonkers. Um, so th they decide not to. So instead of murder, they go with human trafficking. And so they sell Jacob, or they sell Joseph, they sell their brother to Ishmaelite slave, slave traders and they sell him for 20 pieces of silver. Um, uh, my friends, Sarah Jane and Johnny, uh, they play a game where it's like, how much would it cost you to blank? And then they fill in, you know, like, eat a slug or whatever weird thing. And so there's something about putting a cost on your own life, 20 pieces of silver. That's how much Joseph gets sold for. Um, and then the brothers go home and they tell their father that he was eaten by a wild animal, that he died and was eaten by a wild animal. And for Joseph, as you can imagine in this moment, uh, everything changes for him. It, he goes from being the golden boy in a technicolor dream coat uh, to a commodity sold by uh, Ishmaelite slave traders in Egypt. And he, he as a commodity, gets sold uh, to an Egyptian man named Potiphar. And uh, Potiphar is the captain of the palace guard. So um, Pharaoh is the king of Egypt. Potiphar is the one who takes care of his entire guard. He was one of the king's top officials. Uh, and the Genesis writers tell us that the Lord was with Joseph and that he put favor on him to Potiphar. So Joseph is Potiphar's slave but Potiphar starts to notice him and see him and God puts favor on Joseph's life. Uh, so much so that eventually Potiphar puts Joseph in charge of his entire house and every single thing that he owned. That's a lot of trust and a lot of power. And what happens is under Joseph's care and wisdom, uh, Potiphar's house and his crops and his livestock, they all flourish. Everything just starts going really, really, really well. Uh, in the scriptures, it says Potiphar didn't have to worry about anything other than what he wanted to eat under Joseph's care. Uh, I, can you imagine that life? Not worrying about anything other than you want to eat. That's Huck, my son's life. He lives a great life. Um, so, except one thing, Joseph has, uh, there's, or Potiphar has one thing that he has to worry about, and it's this. Genesis tells us that Joseph was handsome, and I am not kidding here, it says, well built. Um, <laughs> thank you. Genesis, Genesis 39 6 is the reference if you'd like to check it um, or make it your life verse. Uh, <laughs> Joseph, he says he is young and handsome and well built. And Potiphar's wife starts to take notice of that. And she eventually asks Joseph to sleep with her. He says no. She asks again. He says no. And again and again and again. It goes back and forth and he keeps refusing her. Um, but long story short, eventually Potiphar's wife turns the tables on Joseph, tells Potiphar that he tried to seduce her. And, Potiphar, or, and Joseph gets thrown into prison. And then the cycle kind of starts over again. This is the cycle of Joseph's life. He um, is thrown into prison, but once he's in prison, he, uh, God puts favor on his life. And while he's in prison, um, he has uh, the favor of God and the favor of the prison warden who um, eventually puts Joseph in charge of the entire prison. He's over 
everything, kind of like how he was at Potiphar's house. He is over all of the things happening in the prison and all of the prisoners. Um, And so then uh, two really powerful men get thrown into prison while Joseph is in charge. One is a baker and one is a cupbearer, and both of them work for the Pharaoh. And those may not sound like really powerful jobs, uh, but in this time, they were incredibly powerful jobs, jobs of influence, jobs that were like first line of defense uh, for the Pharaoh. And so they're put into prison and while they're in prison, they have a dream. And they have this really vivid dream and nobody knows what it means. And so Joseph comes upon him one morning and he sees that they're looking really upset. And he says, why are you upset? And they said, we had these dreams and nobody knows what they mean. And so Joseph, with the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, interprets the dreams that these two men have. Uh, And then eventually they get released uh, out of prison in time for the king's birthday party, uh, which feels like a great time to get out of jail. And so they go to the birthday party and at this birthday party, both of the dreams come true. Both of the things that that Joseph has just interpreted, they both come true. Um, And it's important to note that when the the cupbearer, one of the guys, when he leaves the prison, Joseph says, don't forget me when you get out. Like, remember I'm here and I would like to be out of here. So don't forget me. But uh, so they go to the birthday party, both dreams go come true. Um, and in Genesis 39 ends with the cupbearer being restored into his place of power and forgetting completely about Joseph. Just absolutely forgets about him. Until uh, two years later, are you still hanging with me? You guys are amazing. This is a very long story. We're about a third through. No, I'm just kidding. We're, we're more than that. Okay, so two years later, uh, the Pharaoh has a, uh, ha- starts having dreams of his own. And so he has this series of disturbing and confusing dreams. And no one can tell him what they mean. He goes to the magicians, he goes to the wise men, he goes to anybody uh, who, who might be able to know and no one knows what it means. And then finally over breakfast one morning, the cupbearer was like, oh wait, there's this guy in your prison and he interpreted my dream and it came true, like you should call him and he finally remembers him. And so uh, the Pharaoh sends for Joseph and pulls him out of prison and Joseph cleans up and shaves and comes before the Pharaoh. Um, and, and the Pharaoh tells Joseph the dreams that nobody else can interpret. And then Joseph, uh, with the wisdom and courage of the spirit, responds to the Pharaoh uh, with the kindness of God. And he says this, he says, it's beyond my power to interpret this, but God wants to ease your worry and tell you what it means. I love that. He's like, I I can't do this on my own, but God loves you so much that he wants you not to be afraid. And so uh, he interprets this dream and, and, um, and he tells the Pharaoh that both of his dreams mean the same thing. He says, there will be seven years of great prosperity in Egypt. And then it will be directly followed by seven years of famine. So great that the prosperous years would be forgotten. And he tells the Pharaoh that God has given the Pharaoh these dreams that he might appoint someone intelligent and wise uh, to manage the prosperity and save a fifth of what happens in this seven years in order to care for and provide for the next seven years. And so uh, the Pharaoh receives everything Joseph tells him and then he does something bonkers that uh, Josh read to us today. Um, The Pharaoh looks at Joseph and he acknowledges that he has been filled with the Holy Spirit And then the Pharaoh puts a man who's fresh out of prison over his entire kingdom. So that scripture that Josh read, he's just out of prison. And then he gets the whole kingdom. The only one over him that was the Pharaoh. Uh, I think it said exactly like, like no one would take a step without Joseph knowing about it. Joseph giving permission about it. So at 30 years old, 
The young, handsome, well-built Joseph uh, is, and that probably had something to do with it. Let's be real. No, uh, I'm just kidding. Um, the, the, the 30-year-old Joseph takes over the entire kingdom and the Pharaoh puts a ring on his finger and a chain on his neck and clothes on his body or uh, drip as the kids say. And he makes him uh, the governor. Uh, or like the vice president, second in command in all of Egypt. Uh, and then all of the dreams come true. Um, the dreams about the, the prosperity come true. The dreams about the famage, uh, famine come true, comes true. And Joseph manages all of it with wisdom and courage and kindness. Uh, so much so that when the famine comes, Egypt is not just able to take care of its own people and its own land and its own spaces, but is able to care for its neighbors and care for the people uh, all around. And so this is when things get super interesting. Um, during, it's during the famine that Joseph's brother who are still alive get word that Egypt has extra grain, extra wheat. And uh, so, so Jacob, his father, sends his brothers to Egypt and says, go buy grain for our place. And um, so since Joseph is the governor over Egypt and in charge of selling all of the grain, his brothers end up right in front of him, uh, but they don't recognize him. Um, and so when they come, they come before him to buy the grain and they bow down. You remember the, oh, remember the beginning? Um, and so this is what happens. So they bow down and then eventually in some back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, uh, Joseph gives them grain, actually ends up giving all their money back, sends them home, invites them back. And then he throws a party. He throws a huge feast uh, for his brothers. And then there's a bit more back and forth. And then eventually he invites them back into the palace and he tells them who he is. He says that uh, he is their brother uh, that they sold years and years before. And then those scriptures tell us that Joseph starts to weep and that he weeps for all that has been and all that is. He weeps for the dreams. He weeps for the robe, the plot to kill and sell him. All that's happened, his brother's now sitting before him. He weeps for the trauma so loudly that the entire palace hears. And then Joseph with every legal right to repay what has been done to him, uh, asks his brothers to come closer. And then he punches him on the face and kills him. Just kidding. <laughs> he invites his brothers to come closer. It was his right to kill them. It was his right to destroy them. It was his right to take great revenge on them. But he invites them closer. And then into their, their eyes, he speaks kindness and he speaks forgiveness and he speaks faith uh, so much bigger than the story that they wrote, a faith in the God that's bigger than their story and what they had. He tells them what you meant for evil, God meant for good and God has uh, restored. And in some incredible, incredibly intimate verses in Genesis 45, uh, the dreamer dreams flourishing for his brothers who sold him. He dreams flourishing in the face of their abandonment, in the face of their dishonor. And he looks them in the eyes and he speaks against their fear. And he weeps for joy. And the Bible says he kisses them and in a moment they're brothers again. And then he asks them to go get his father and he does the unthinkable. He doesn't just restore their relationship. He also says, and now come live on my land and I will care for you for the rest of your days. Bring our father and come live with me. Again, he has every right to destroy them, but instead Joseph offers them protection and hope. He offers them restoration. 
uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about uh, how the, we talked about the very first mention of the Holy Spirit in the Genesis story, uh, the Holy Spirit hovering above the waters, bringing order into chaos. And then Chad last week talked about uh, what happened after Jesus ascended at Pentecost and the power that came um, from the Holy Spirit and the first Christians filling them and empowering them. Uh, theologians argue uh, about exactly what happened in the Genesis story that we read uh, today, uh, but most say this is our first experience of someone being uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, filled, having a spirit-filled life. It's the first time we see it written in the scriptures. Um, the, the first time we see, for a lack of a better word, more, more of the Spirit, something kind of hard to describe, um, something that's like beyond an initial feeling, this like greater uh, experience of the Spirit. Pentecostals call it baptism of the Spirit. Um, it's something we'll talk about next week, actually. Um, but the Pharaoh, he describes Joseph as a man so obviously filled with the Spirit of God. And in that phrasing, it's the same word that we saw in Genesis 2 a couple of weeks ago, the, the Ruach Elohim, the breath of God. Uh, this is it's a wide and powerful story of a man being filled with God's breath in ways that even a pagan Pharaoh could notice, a pagan Potiphar could notice, a pagan jail warden could notice, a guilty brothers could notice. Uh, Todd Hunter, who Chad quoted last week, who gets quoted a lot around here, uh, writes in his book, Christianity Beyond Belief, which if I could recommend any book for you, read that one, Christianity Beyond Belief. I think we put it on every resource list we send out. Um, if you forget the name, text me and I'll, I'll send you a link. I'll buy it for you, actually. So if you really want to read it, holler at me and, and, and I'll get it for you. It's really good. But he says this, Todd Hunter says, uh, the Holy Spirit works in us in two main ways. The Holy Spirit gives us power and the Holy Spirit gives us the ethics, character, and morals of the kingdom to go along with that power. I'm gonna say it again. The Holy Spirit gives us power and then the morals, ethics, and character of the kingdom to go along with that power. This is what we see in Joseph. We see the power of the Spirit working out God's favor in highly unfavorable circumstances. Uh, he has the favor to interpret dreams and, and, and bring the power to bring order into chaotic situations. And we also see the Spirit filling Joseph with the ethics, character, and morals of the kingdom to go along with that power. I wanna spend um, our next very few minutes talking about um, three of those things, three parts of that characters, ethics, and morals. Um, there's loads we can say, um, but these three are pretty important to us at Springbrook or at the Vineyard really. Um, wisdom, courage, and kindness. We see so much wisdom, courage, and kindness. About 10 years ago, uh, Phil Strout, who is the national director of Vineyard USA, and I think this is funnier than he thinks it is, but basically he's our Pope. He's actually asked me to stop calling him that, but, um, <laughs> but it, it, it works. Okay, so he's over our church. And when he uh, became the national leader of the Vineyard, um, he found out he was in a hotel room with his wife and he gets a phone call at like one o'clock in the morning or something. And they say, you're it, you're, you're the new national director. And he said, he hung up the phone and he tells his wife and they just start dying laughing. And they can't quit laughing for like a long, 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 long time. And he says when they, because they just thought it was preposterous. Like uh, he's this normal dude. And now he's running this whole denomination and, um, and he thinks it's hilarious. And when he finally gains his composure, Phil says that he, uh, he starts praying and he looks at God and he says, I have no idea how to do this. Uh, and, and he says that the spirit gave him a prayer and that uh, God said, this will be the prayer for the rest of your life. Uh, and it was this, he said, God said, ask me for wisdom, courage, and kindness every day. 
wisdom, courage, and kindness. And so for the last 10 years, this has been his prayer uh, for himself. Like when other people say, how can I pray for you, Phil? He says, pray for wisdom, courage, and kindness. It's his prayer for the pastors and our whole, and our whole movement. This is his prayer uh, for the vineyard all over the world is for wisdom, courage, and kindness. And these are the reasons why. He prays for wisdom because uh, for so much of our lives, we have no idea where we're going. Anyone else? All the Enneagram ones are like, I'm pretty sure where I'm going. Um, uh, We don't know where we're going. We don't know what the next right thing is most of the time. Uh, And then courage, because if we knew where we were going, no way we'd go. Double amen, (laughs) right? Yeah. If we knew where you're going, no way uh, we would go. And kindness, uh, because this comes from Phil's wife, Jan. She says, you've heard me say it, kindness is the place where the Holy Spirit lands. And so in Joseph's story, we see that Joseph being filled with the Spirit of God meant that rather than leading a life out of self-protection, he instead led out of a life out of the wisdom, courage, and kindness instilled in him by the Holy Spirit. Brene Brown says that when we lead out of self-protection, we lead out of our armor versus our vulnerability. Our armor versus our, our, our vulnerability. And when we look at Joseph's story, uh, we can see that his armor, that self-protection would have gotten him uh, nowhere, except maybe in that very first beginning story, maybe he wouldn't have gone out to that field if he knew what was happening. Uh, but, but it was his vulnerability that led to great favor. His vulnerability that, 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 that led to the entire story, wisdom and courage and kindness, they require risk and they require vulnerability, but they are characteristics, morals, ethics of the kingdom. And they just kept making Joseph more free. Did you notice that? They just, he just continued to get more free as his life uh, went on. Let's look at him. Joseph was filled with God's spirit, filled with the breath of God, and filled with wisdom, courage, and kindness. Uh, he was filled with wisdom. He had no idea where he was going when he sat at the bottom of a water cistern um, waiting to be sold into slavery to the Ishmaelites. He, he, he had the wisdom to know what to do with the favor that God put on him in, uh, with Potiphar in prison, uh, with the Pharaoh. He, he had the wisdom. Um, to run a house, to run a prison, and eventually a kingdom. Uh, He was a spoiled son, turned slave, turned prisoner, turned governor. He had no idea how to do the things that he did, but he walked with wisdom. He had the wisdom to notice that the evil his brothers planned, the evil he couldn't see where it would lead, had so was so much hard. And I don't wanna belittle the heart of Joseph's life because I think part of the way we enter that story is the heart in our lives. Uh, uh, Joseph's dad at one point, he meets the Pharaoh and the Pharaoh asks him how old he is. And the way he answers is he says, I've lived 130 hard years. Joseph similarly lived a lot of very, very hard years, but he had the wisdom uh, to seek and find the good, uh, to seek and find the hope in an unseeable future. And then if you read the story in Genesis, and I hope you will read all those 13 chapters, there are so many tears uh, because God's spirit filled Joseph with the wisdom to both grieve and walk through the trauma as he looked for renewal in it. I think in the church, a lot of times we push toward the renewal so hard that we forget there's also grieving in the trauma and that is wisdom. And then God's breath fills Joseph with courage 
Because if he'd known that he would be sold as a slave, like I said, he never would have walked to meet his brothers in a field. If he'd known Potiphar's wife would, for lack of a better word, take a liking to him, uh, he would never have accepted the power in the household or would have avoided her altogether. Uh, The spirit gave him courage to keep walking in abandonment, to keep walking in trauma, to keep walking and refuse to let his circumstances determine his identity. Uh, He had the courage to trust who God said he was. He had the courage to trust that he was who God said he was. That takes a lot of courage. A lot of courage. The courage uh, to dare to stand before Pharaoh and then the courage to be honest about the world, both as it is and as he hoped that it would be. He had the, uh, 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 he had the courage to, uh, to see the, the truth about abundance and famine. The spirit filled him with the courage to risk connection again uh, with brothers who had betrayed him in every single way. And goodness gracious, he had kindness over and over and over and over again in his life, the spirit of God landed on Joseph, uh, landed on Joseph's kindness. Uh, God's favor followed Joseph's kindness, the kindness that gave him uh, favor with man as well, not just God, Potiphar and the jail warden and the Pharaoh. If you look at his conversation uh, with Potiphar's wife when she's coming on to him, his conversation is so kind. He, he tells her, no, I will not have sex with you with like, he, he reminds her of her belonging, her identity, while still telling her, no, if you need to break up with someone, I suggest you check that one out. I mean, he's so kind. And most obvious and probably the most difficult, the spirit fills Joseph with a great kindness toward his brothers, a kindness that makes room for the entropy in their own hearts without ever excusing the entropy that happened as a result of their own hearts. A kindness that throws a dinner party to his betrayers, weeps with joy when they come, a kindness that leads to renewal and to alignment and to order. Uh, God filled uh, wisdom and courage and kindness in Joseph uh, throughout his life. And through this filling, he just kept making him more and more and more free. He just kept setting him free. And I say this a lot. The thing I'm interested most in this world is being free. And that's the thing about the Holy Spirit of God is this. The Holy Spirit is offering us the same, offering us empowerment through the Spirit and offering us character through the Spirit. And, and, and things like these, wisdom and courage and kindness, they are ours uh, for the taking. They're ours for the taking, ours for the growing, ours to give the world. Uh, I have like a hundred verses for this and I'm not exaggerating. I do exaggerate, but I'm not. A hundred verses for God saying, take all these things. They're really good. James one, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously without rebuking you for asking. All throughout the Old Testament, we see God offering his people courage. Uh, And the way he does it, he says, I will go before you, have courage. I'll go first, have courage. God went first on everything in your life that took courage. Uh, All throughout the Old Testament, we see this. Uh, John tells us in 1 John 2, that living as a child of God means that Christ fills us with courage constantly. And then Galatians 5, Paul tells us that one of the things that the spirit produces in us is kindness. Uh, In Colossians 3, Paul tells us that we, as followers of Jesus, can wear kindness like clothes. These things, we quite literally ask for them every single week at the end of our service. Every single week. Uh, uh, For sons and daughters of the King, and that is what we are. Uh, It is our most true identity. These are ours. 
These are yours. You have access to wisdom. You have access to courage and you have access to kindness whenever you need it. That doesn't mean things that will go perfectly for you. That means you have access to wisdom and you have access to courage and you have access to kindness. The spirit is in the business of giving us the character and ethics and morals of the kingdom, of empowering us uh, through them to join God in the renewal and restoration that he's doing in every single space and every single place uh, in your life. And so when it comes to solutions uh, to the problems before us, and there are big problems in front of us, uh, racism, crisis of faith all over our country, climate problems, financial problems, pandemic, and the impacts that just will not go away. And then there's all the things in our own lives, uh, your families and neighborhoods and marriages and school places and workplaces and fill in your own blanks. Uh, I don't know about you, but I just think we need more wisdom. And I think we need more courage and I think we need more kindness. So we're gonna ask for it. Uh, Daniel and Brad are gonna come play some music and uh, we're just gonna take a breath. Um, and here's the thing, like I, I kind of wanna go through every single person because like you have this. Like I've watched so many of you walk through deep and dark things and you did it with wisdom and courage and kindness and you screwed up plenty, me too. But you have this, we have access to this. So let's just ask for more. That's, I think I say this a lot, but the fun part of being um, a charismatic church is we just keep getting to ask for more. So we will. Uh, so I'm gonna pray and then we'll just be quiet. There are gonna be some verses on the, the screen um, from Ephesians that I think are great. Uh, and I just wanna bless this. I wanna bless more of this in our church and in our lives. So let's pray. So Holy Spirit, we ask you to come. And will you, will you um, open our eyes to see our actual lives, how they actually are? Will you give us the wisdom and courage and kindness to see what we've been looking at a lot lately, the places that are uh, broken, devastated, uh, left behind, pushed down, and then I just ask for more wisdom and more courage and more kindness in those places. I pray that you would fill us with wisdom because um, we wanna go where you want us to go, but that's sometimes really hard to know. And so will you fill us with wisdom so that we can see where you're on the move in our lives and in our world? And then will you give us the courage to follow? Because I, I would never have walked the places that you've asked me to walk if I knew where I was going. Until so you fill us with courage. Courage to actually follow you in the actual world that we actually live in. And then I ask you to, to fill us with kindness. More and more and more and more kindness. Kindness in our houses. Kindness in, at our work. Kindness in our friendships. Uh, I believe that kindness is where your spirit lands on us and I want you to land. I want you to land. I want you to fill me, fill us with power and fill me and fill us with the moral ethics and character of your kingdom because I think it's the best thing around. So we ask for more.